Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Uh, we are so thankful that you've chosen to spend some time with us. We're in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can be opening there as we uh, get started, continuing our series of lessons, looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ, diving in-depth into the most influential life that's ever lived, the most influential person in the history of mankind. Uh, the baptism of Jesus that we looked at two weeks ago and the temptation of Jesus that Trey tackled last week were really, really powerful moments in the life of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to try, to try to imagine yourself as Jesus in that moment when you come up out of the waters of baptism and the voice of God himself speaks. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jesus who was in some ways separated from his father for some 30 years to hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What an amazing moment that must have been for Jesus, but as Satan often does, moments of clarity, moments of victory are often followed up with times of trial and times of testing, and we know that the Spirit himself leads Jesus into the desert, the wilderness, the barren land to be tempted by the devil, and what we saw last week is that Jesus came through that temptation absolutely victorious, right? We said in our very first lesson several weeks ago now uh, in this series that the writers of Scripture are trying to get us to understand something. And that is with Jesus, we have the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God. This is what is going on here in the text. A confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the earth. Satan, in Matthew chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, tries to distract Jesus, tries to persuade him to grasp the right goals, but to grasp those goals by the wrong means. And, and if Jesus would have done that, Satan would have brought him over to his own side, and things would be significantly different than they are right now. But we know it didn't work. We know that Jesus won that battle. And here's why that's so important. Because Jesus won that battle, he can now announce that God's kingdom is beginning to happen. This is a really, really important thing. Because he won the battle, he can now announce that God's kingdom was going to begin to happen. Now, the battle clearly isn't over. This great initial victory that Jesus won in this private struggle has created space now for God's kingdom to make inroads in the world. But that kingdom can only be finally established through a final conflict, a final battle. These enemy troops that surrounded Jesus in the desert are going to surround him again. They will close in, and they will do their worst to try to uh, heal the damage that they received in that wilderness at that moment. But please understand that the battle that Jesus is fighting is not a military conflict. He's not fighting a military battle against Rome. He's not fighting against Herod or Herod's descendants. He's not fighting against the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, any of them. He is not fighting that fight. This is not some traditional freedom fight of pious Jews fed up with pagan rule. No, 
This is so much deeper than that. Jesus is fighting against the Satan himself. Jesus is battling against Satan himself. And Jesus' baptism and temptation marked the beginning of his ministry. And that leads us to John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending some time in John 1. We're going to begin by looking at verses 35 through 42. And what we have today, what we're going to look at today, are some firsts for Jesus. He's going to ask some guys to come and check him out. He's going to perform his first miracle. And so right off the bat, after he comes out of the wilderness, we see Jesus beginning to do some amazing things. Let's read verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And I love this phrase, right? Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says something significant in verse 39. To their question, he replies, Come and see. And I want to pause for just a second. I don't know how many of you are able to watch. Every Friday we send out something I'm calling Five Minute Friday. It's just a little tidbit of history. Uh, some things that kind of go along with the lesson that we're going to be talking about Sunday. And if you heard that, uh, then you know where I'm going next. This idea of come and see. This is where it begins with Jesus. When Jesus is calling his disciples, the first thing that he says is come and see. Come and check this out. Come and see who I am. Come and see what I'm all about. And I believe that's exactly where we need to start when we're interested in bringing people to Jesus. We don't have to get all the way to the quote-unquote finish line in the first conversation. No, we just invite people like Jesus did to come and see. Come check this out. Come look at the evidence. Come examine it with me. And let's see if this Jesus really is who he says he is, come and see. And if you noticed, our, our, our slides have changed, right, from what we had initially to this, come and see. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be spending time in, in this area, this come and see area, because this is a section of Jesus' life that I think is so important. Actually, even though we're only spending six weeks, this lasts 18 months. It's 18 months before Jesus calls them to truly be his disciples and apostles and follow him the way that we see them follow him in scripture. So this is a significant amount of time in the life of Jesus, preparing these disciples, asking them to examine the evidence and then to go all in 18 months later. But that's another lesson for another time. Let's finish reading. Verse 39, he says, come and see and they said, saw him where he, and they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two that heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. When we read a passage like this, uh, we see that there's uh, more of a two-way process going on here than I think people might realize in the story. It says that Andrew and Simon, or Andrew and uh, Simon Peter, were, were both 
trying to find the Messiah, right? They were looking for the Messiah. They were constantly on the search. They just knew that God was going to move in human history, and so they were searching for the Messiah. But what they didn't realize, and I think this is important, is that the Messiah was also searching for them. There's a two-way street going on here that I think is really important. And I want to say this. The Messiah continues to look for people today. He's not tired or retired or out of business. He still can. He still will. He does new, amazing, faith-building things in people's lives to point them to himself. He is still looking for people today. He is looking for people who will not just come and be with him and check him out and examine the evidence, but will ultimately go all in and follow him. And like he did with Peter, he wants to change our names. He wants to give us a new mission. He wants to give us a new purpose in life. He is looking for us. And the real question is, like Simon, are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? The next day, verse 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Notice Philip's response. Come and see. They're already starting to do the same things that Jesus was doing with them, right? Come and see. Come examine the evidence. Come check it out. See if, if what we're saying is true or not. Come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Something so simple, right? But notice verse 50. We're going to spend some time here in verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then verse 51, and he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That passage, verse 51, is a direct relation back to an Old Testament story. Can you remember which story he's referring to? Go ahead and shout it out if you know. Jacob's ladder, right? Remember as Jacob is leaving Israel, leaving uh, his homeland because of his, his sin with Esau? Uh, l- l- let's back up, Laura, since you don't know the answer. Let me, let me go to the very beginning. Jacob is a schemer, right? His name means deceiver. And Esau, his older twin brother, is on the receiving end of many of those schemes. In fact, even in the womb, it seems that Jacob was trying to trip Esau up because they're born, and, and, and Jacob is literally grabbing hold of the heel of his older brother. Eventually, Esau has enough, and he comes after his brother, and so Jacob flees for his life. This story, by the way, can be found, true story can be found in Genesis 25 through Genesis 28. Well, as Jacob is running away with not a penny to his name and nothing but the clothes on his back, he has a dream. He sees a ladder with its foot on the ground and its top reaching to heaven. 
And God's angels were going up and down on that ladder. And the Lord himself stood beside Jacob and promised him, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to bring you back in peace. And I'm going to bring you back in prosperity. You're starting to remember that story in Genesis 25 now? And it is this passage that Jesus seems to be referring to when he says to Nathanael that he and the other disciples will see heaven open, heavens open, and the angels coming up and down on the Son of Man, right? It's a strange picture. And I wonder what Nathanael must have been thinking as Jesus says this to him. What does Jesus mean by this? That the angels himself will, will come and go, will ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Let's look closer. Because I think this is significant and I think this is good. You see, the point that God was making with Jacob back in Genesis 25 was that I am with you in this place. I am with you. And Jacob, after he wakes up from his dream, do you remember what he called the place where this happened? He called it God's house, Bethel, house of God. And after he came back to the land, and when much later his descendants had been established in possession of this land, Bethel became one of the great sanctuary cities of Israel, one of the places where early Israelite worship was carried on. And the tradition of Jacob's dream of the angels going up and down on that ladder are connected with the belief that when you worshipped God in his house, God was present with you. And his angels were coming and going, linking heaven and earth together. So let me introduce you now to the theme that John talks about often. In fact, a great deal of John's gospel has to do with the way Jesus fulfills the promises made concerning the temple and how he goes way beyond them and ushers in a new way of living that God himself is going to be with his people. This was actually hinted out. I don't know if you caught it. This was hinted at back in John chapter 1, verse 14. Do you remember that verse? It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. You remember that verse? Well, well here's the, the literal translation of that is, the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Dwelt with us, tabernacled with us. When you hear that word tabernacle, it should lead you back to that tent that, that the Israelites made and, and all of the details that God gave in the wilderness. And that tent should lead us to the temple uh, that came to replace it. So that reference would lead us back to Exodus where Jesus, or excuse me, where God's presence is promised, right? That's what the tent was. It was a place where God's presence dwelled. It's what the temple represented, God with his people, and he would meet them in the holy of holies. All right, so all of that to say this. Let's put this all together. I hope this is as exciting to you as it is to me. <laughs> this is Jesus' way of saying to Nathaniel, don't you think that all you will see is one or two acts of insight such as you saw when I showed you that I knew you before you even appeared. What you will see from now on, Jesus says, is the reality toward which Jacob's ladder and even the temple itself were pointing to. This is what Jesus is saying to him. I, I want you to get it. What you're going to see from now on is the reality toward which Jacob's ladder pointed and even the temple itself was pointing to. Now, here's where it gets really good. Jesus is saying to him, if you will follow me, you will be watching what it looks like when heaven and earth are open to each other. 
You are going to see what it's like when heaven and earth are open to each other. Now, you may not necessarily see the angels coming and going, but you're going to see things happening that prove to you and show to you that those angels are there. And when John talks about Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man, I think he's trying to get us to recognize that somebody so much greater than just a Messiah is here. Because when you are with Jesus, listen to me now, when you are with Jesus, it is, it is as though you are in the house of God, you are in the temple itself with God's angels coming and going, and God's own presence is there beside you. This is what Jesus is saying. And here's the great, great, great news. That promise is just as true for us today as it was for Nathaniel that day in Jerusalem. It's just as relevant for us today. That promise remains true that we too can see heaven open and the sun uh, and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We can see this reality as well. We can literally be in the temple, in the presence of God Himself when we are with Jesus. And so the question is are you with Jesus? Nothing else matters than being with Jesus. Nothing else matters. And what we see next as we look to John chapter 2 is we begin to see the heavens opened and the angels descending on the Son of the Man as he, as he does these, these mighty miracles. And here's the first one in John chapter 2. Let's read about it. John chapter 2 verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to this wedding with his disciples and when the wine ran out. <clears throat> the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, I'd underline this if I were you, just do whatever he says. Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This... The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples and they stayed there a, a, a few days. When Cindy and I were first married, one of the things that we looked forward to each Christmas was something that our in, my in-laws did, Chris and Vicki. They would, they, they would put on a treasure hunt for us. Uh, Chris would literally spend weeks and weeks preparing for these treasure hunts, right? He would give us clues that we would have to follow, and, and X typically marked the spot. Uh, there was one Christmas where X didn't mark the spot. It was about six feet south, but, and we dug up the whole yard trying to find the X. Uh, but it was really fun, right? So sometimes these were biblical questions that we had to answer to get to the next clue, and it was, it was really neat. And, and, you know, Cindy has a sister and her husband, and we started competing with each other. And then when the kids came along, uh, it got really fun. And, and I tell you all of that to say this, John's gospel is a treasure hunt. 
It really is. There's so much here. Uh, God's, John's gospel is a treasure hunt. And he gives us clues to follow. And the word that he uses for clue is this word sign. Sign. You see it in verse 11. And John is setting up signposts to take us all the way through the story. And these signs are all occasions when Jesus did exactly what he told Nathaniel he would do. These are the moments when to the people who watch with even a little bit of faith, the angels of God are going up and down, coming to the place where Jesus is. These are moments when heaven is opened and the transforming power of God's love bursts forth into the present world that we live in. And so this is the point of the signs. John is showing us moments when heaven and earth intersect with each other. And isn't that exactly what Jesus prayed when he was teaching his disciples how to pray? Your will be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. And this is all connected. It's all connected. John is showing us moments when heaven and earth still intersect with each other. Do you believe heaven and earth still intersect? Do you believe that God is not finished yet? Do you believe he's not done? Do you believe he still does miracles in this world? I sure do. I sure do. This is actually what we, the people of God, should expect when Jesus is around. Heaven's opened and angels descending. Heaven being uh, just, heaven and earth combined together. This miracle story, though, in John 2, is really all about transformation, isn't it? It's all about transformation. And I love Mary's response. <laughs> Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But this is one of only two occasions in John's gospel where we meet Jesus' mother. The other will be at the foot of, foot of the cross in John 19. And Jesus' response to his mom is interesting. My time has not yet come. Even though he's mentioned other places that his time, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. The time is fulfilled. But yet now he's telling his mom the time has not yet come. What's he talking about? Well, the time for the kingdom to make inroads has come, but his time to suffer and die for the sins of the world isn't quite here yet. That's what he means by saying the time hasn't come. The event, the time for John, is the ultimate moment when heaven and earth meet. What is the ultimate moment when heaven and earth meet? It's the cross. He says it's not quite time for me to go to the cross yet. But let's take a closer look at the transformation that we find in this story in John chapter 2. The first thing that we see is Jesus doing something new from the old, right? The wedding here in Cana of Galilee, I think, is a foretaste of a great heavenly feast that's in store for God's people. That's us. The water jars used for Jewish purification rites are a sign that God is doing a new thing from within this old Jewish system. He's bringing purification to Israel and to the world in a whole new way. Talk about transformation. This is it. And this is why Jesus will say later, you can't take old wine and put it in the new wineskins. You can't do it. You're going to destroy everything if you try. Jesus, even in this moment, is taking something new from the old transformation. But not only that, number two, what we see here is Jesus transforming from disgrace to honor. This wedding itself would likely include the entire village and several people from neighboring villages too. That's why Mary and his son, her sons and his sons, her son's friends are there. 
And running out of wine was not just inconvenient, it was a social disaster and a social disgrace. The family would have to live with the shame of it for a long, long, long time to come. The bride and the groom might regard it as bringing bad luck to their married life. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus will address all kinds of problems throughout his ministry, but here we witness the compassion he has for people who are in need. Do you have compassion for people who are in need? Are you willing to help lift someone from their shame uh, to a place of honor? Jesus is often going to meet people's needs and he's going to do it in unexpected ways. Transformation, new from old, disgrace to honor. Finally, number three, lost to found. The transformation from water to wine, most of all, shows us the effect that Jesus can have on people's lives he is the master at taking things that look hopeless and dead, and he is able to breathe new life into those things, situations, people, transformation. That's what it's all about. Let's do something as we close. I want you right now to think about your greatest disappointments and failures. Think about it for just a second. Think about your greatest disappointments and failures. And here's something I know. Every one of you sitting here already knows something. You already got something in your head. Because when I say that, there is something instantly that pops into your mind. Your greatest disappointment, your greatest failure, whatever that might be, whatever that might look like for you, I want you to think about that. They're not hard to remember. And here's the truth I want you to get. And here's the truth that Jesus is giving us in this miracle story. Jesus offers you transformation from those disappointments. You can be free right now from those disappointments and failures forever. Did you know that? You can be free from those disappointments and failures forever. You might be saying, well, how? How, how can I be free of them? Because I've tried for years to forget, to let go, and, and I just can't seem to do that. They just keep rearing their ugly head back into my life over and over and over and over again. I'm going to tell you how you get rid of those disappointments and failures forever. Do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Take the advice of Jesus' mother. And if you'll do that, you can be free from disappointments and failures forever. One last thought. When did all of this take place? Did you catch that little tidbit back in verse 1? When did all of this happen? On the third day. Hmm. Hmm. You think John might be hinting at something here? What do you think he's hinting at when he says uh, all of this took place on the third day? He's pointing to the ultimate transformation. Not just, not just new from old or honor and disgrace to honor or lost to found. He's pointing to the ultimate transformation of death to life. That's what he's pointing to. And this is the reality that awaits all who will trust and obey Jesus. All who will just do whatever he says. This reality waits you as well. That can be you today. This is the great, great, great news you can be free from your disappointments and failure. You can be transformed from death to life 
If you just do what Jesus says, believe who he is, come and see, come and check him out, come examine the evidence, find out for yourself, is he who he says he is? And when you do, you will find that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you will confess him and repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of those sins, then you can have exactly what we've been talking about, transformation in your own life. But how about it? Why would you spend another second outside of the grace of Jesus Christ? Don't you want to be transformed from death to life? It's available to you today. It's available in Jesus Christ. Will you come and give him your life? I hope that you will. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.